John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of, of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to, he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of, of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that, that he was there, and they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. We are given some detail about this meal that was taking place. I, I wish there was more detail. There's, there's, there's questions that come into my mind of like, what, what, what was it like there? Um, but I, I don't think it's hard to, to use our imaginations just a little bit to think of what it would have been like to be at that meal. You have the disciples there. The disciples had seen just incredible things over the previous three and a half years. They, they saw Jesus make blind people able to see and lame people walk and heard him teach like nobody had ever taught before. Done miracles of multiplying fish and loaves, walking on water, commanding demons to come out of people and they came out. Rising people from the dead, which he had just done. Lazarus is there. Lazarus, who had been dead for four days at the point of stinking. And he was there. He had been in the tomb for four days. The tomb sealed. Him covered with all of the cloth that they did as far as being buried in a climate where they would bury him immediately because of how hot it was wanting to keep from having the body decompose even more. But he who had been dead for four days, Jesus telling him, Lazarus, come forth, and having him come to life and move there as the tombstone's been rolled away and coming out. And Mary and Martha are there, the ones that said, Jesus, if you had been here, we know that our brother wouldn't have died. He would have lived. And the emotion of everything that had taken place I, I know that there's people here when you think of death. There, there, there is 
someone or people that come to your mind immediately where you, you think of the, the days following the death of someone that you love and you think of the pain, the, the grieving that would have taken place and, or that did take place. And to, to think that after the fourth day, in that fourth day, to have Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth, and to have your brother or that loved one rise from the dead. The, the, the shock of it all, the glory of it all, the amazement of a God that, that is here in the flesh that is able to just say, Lazarus, come forth, and he awakens and comes forth, and he is healthy, and he is perfect, and there's nothing wrong with him, and he comes out of the tomb. You, you can just imagine whether you've lost a loved one or not, you can imagine what it would be like after four days to have your brother come back to you. We're told that also there at the dinner, it's a man who, who is known as Simon the leper. It's at his house that, 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 they're, that they're eating. If your name's Simon the leper, it means that you had leprosy. If they're eating at your house and you're there, the only way that happens is that you have been healed from your leprosy. And in that day, the only way that that happened was that Jesus healed you. So there's this man, Simon the leper, the one in whom Jesus would have said, I'm willing, be cleansed, or go show, your, go show yourself to the priest. This man who people threw rocks at, and, and, and he had to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. This man who has been forced away from his family for however many years it would have been. This man who once lost fingers and toes and nose and ears that has been made whole. This man that has been healed completely and now he's back in his home and they're eating at his house. He's there. And they're all sitting at this table and they're, and they're eating. People that have been just radically affected by the Lord. People that knew all kinds of information about him. I mean, we, we look at what we know through scripture and it's powerful, isn't it? There must have been something to see in it firsthand. There must have been something to see a man with a withered hand and it just is made whole. It must have been something just incredible to be able to see the, the joy in the face of a man that had been paralyzed from birth or someone who had been blind from birth, being made able to walk or being made able to see and to be able to see the expression on their face, to be able to see what it was like to watch this miracles take place like miracles that could only come from God. And they're all sitting around this table. And as they're sitting around the table, they're there and we're told in just the sweetest way, and Martha served. Martha, the Martha, Martha, the one that had been complaining before as far as I'm serving and Mary's just at your feet listening to you. Can you make my sister get up? Can you make her go and help me? And Jesus gently rebukes her. 
She's chosen something that's wonderful to sit at the feet of Jesus. But there Martha is again, and, and she's just, she's serving. I love her heart. You know, people that are like that, they're just, they're, they're always serving. What can I do? They come over to eat at your house, and what are they doing? They're cleaning up everything. You're saying, no, 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 we got it, we got it. But somehow they, they clean it up all anyhow. There's Martha. She's just serving. She's got a heart just to serve, to pour herself into just ministry. And you, I know people here who are, are just like that. Well, she's doing that, and Lazarus is there also, sitting at the table. New clothes. They don't stink anymore. And then there's Mary. And she takes a pound of very costly oil, spikenard. And she anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And the house is filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary's there, the one who sits at the feet of Jesus. She's there and she takes this costly, costly oil. We're told from the other accounts that she starts by pouring it over the head of Jesus and it pours down him and comes to where it's there covering his feet and she anoints his feet and she, she wipes her feet with her hair. So there's Mary there. You picture it taking place with this costly oil poured on his head Coming down, Jesus, fragrance that's just filling the entire house with the aroma of this, of this perfume, of this oil, of this fragrance. Coming down to his feet, and she sees it landing upon his feet. And she just takes her hair, her long hair, and just starts wiping his feet up with, with her hair. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said... Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? We're told by Matthew that when the disciples saw this, it's, it's Judas, John tells us, it's Judas, the one that's going to betray Jesus, that starts with this. But it, it's the other disciples as well that follow him. And they're, we're told, indignant. They're angry. They're resentful. They're irritated. They're, they're saying, why this waste? Well, 300 denarii worth of, of this oil, and you're pouring it on his head, and it's coming down his back. It's landing upon his feet. You're wiping it up with your hair. Why this waste? And when you start looking at what this is, just to put this in perspective, 300 denarii, you look at it in Matthew 20 where... There's the illustration that, that's given of the, the, different, the different workers. And they're each given one denarii for a day's worth of work. Remember? And they're hired one at a time after each hour goes by to where the one that comes at the 11th hour, who has been waiting all day to find work, they also are given one denarii of, 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 of money, wages, for the day's work. And the other ones are upset because they only worked one hour. And Jesus gives that as an incredible illustration. 
You think of the person that gets saved at the very end of their life and the same inheritance that we get. Glorious, isn't it? It's all by grace. But one denarii of, of pay for, for an entire 12 hours. They worked for 12 hours then, clearly. Comes at the 11th hour. Working for 12 hours. 12 hours of pay. If you take that for a day's wages, you just take it to Southern California and say, what's the minimum wage here? Nine bucks. Right, I think. Nine bucks. Nine dollars. And you take that times a 12-hour day. You take that times, times five days a week, let's say. All year long. $28,000. It's radical. Think about it. This is some seriously expensive perfume, isn't it? Something in, in that time where it would have been precious to them. I mean, you can imagine being in a place where it, it doesn't... People don't smell all that great, you can imagine. They don't have showers. They don't have running water or anything like that. So perfume is something that is just precious. This oil that you would anoint someone with is just precious. And she has this, this, this oil, and it's worth modern day somewhere around 28 grand. You can see that if, 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 if my wife spills her perfume, I'm not, I'm not going to become just incredibly indignant, angry. Why? Because I bought it for her. It wasn't that much. <laughs> Sorry, honey. There's always like two different kinds. Like one's cheaper and one's more expensive. And one is like, like watered down and the other one's like the real thing. And they smell the same. I, I don't... I'm just kidding. My wife smells incredible without it. So we just... So you look at it and, and if she spilled that worth whatever it is, a lot... We're not going to become incredibly angry, but I, I would venture to say there's not one man here that has bought his wife $28,000 perfume. So you can picture just what's taking place here is they're seeing this and they're saying, Are you, hold, hold, stop. Like, why the waste? 28 grand, you're, it's a, this is a year's salary for somebody. And you're pouring it on his head and it's coming down his shoulder. It's landing on his feet. It's, covering his feet and you're wiping it with your hair. This is the most valuable thing to you. This is the most precious thing to you. And so they're angry. And and Jesus says, let her alone or leave her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. Matthew 26, 12 says, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, Jesus says, she did it for my burial. Mary got it. Mary understands what's taking place, at least to some degree. Mary's been sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening to him. She's the one that's at that table that's looking at Jesus there. He has just caused her brother to rise again from the dead. After four days. And now she's there. And Jesus says specifically. She is doing this for my burial. 
Jesus has less than a week left in his life before he goes to the cross and he dies. And so she's there anointing him for his burial. And Jesus is saying to them, leave her alone. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Leave her alone. She's worshiping right now. As I prepare for sermons and as I sit there in the front pew and get ready to come up here, what I pray is that you here in this congregation would treasure Christ above everything. It's just the way I think. It's the way I read his word. It's the way I prepare a sermon is that when, when you're tempted with the crud of this world that you, you would look at it and say like, that, that, that's, that's nothing compared to the excellencies that I find in Christ when, when you're wanting to run away you look and say like no he's told me to fight the good fight he's told me to finish the race he's told me to keep the faith and I, I love him above everything my prayer is that you would just see him and it would just be such that you would want to obey him. You would want to praise him with your entire heart. Someone asked me this last week. What's your favorite thing about being a pastor? Like, What do you enjoy most about being a pastor? And I've shared this with you before, but my favorite thing is hearing you worship at the end of a service. My favorite thing is seeing people who Maybe they first came and they would sit there and it's just like, how much longer? How much longer? Really? Three songs at the end? This is absurd. We have things to do. And, and after you've been here for some time, you just, you, you don't want it to end and, and you're, you're singing with all that is within you to your Savior. That's, that's the greatest thing that you could ever imagine about like, watching a congregation that treasures Christ above everything. And I, and I look at this woman, and she's, she's, she's got it, doesn't she? I mean, she's looking at it going, what's the most precious thing that I got? I want to give him the most precious thing that I have. The thing that matters to me most, I'm going to give it all to him. I'm not going to Give him a dab of it. Just, I'm going to break the box. I'm going to put it over his head. It's going to fall all down him. And I'll just wipe it up with my hair. I'll, I'll do that to his feet. He is my savior. He's about ready to die. I adore him. He gets my everything. Not like what just seems appropriate. In our society, amongst this group, at this table, don't want to be the freak out here. You know, like, but just, you know, say a simple thank you. No, she, she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She's not there trying to be appropriate. 
in society's eyes. She wants to be appropriate in God's eyes. And she, so she's there, just I'll give him everything. I'll give him everything. The thing that's most precious to me, I just want to anoint him with it. And it's just worship. You, you have the disciples there. That, do they have more facts than this woman? I would probably say, of course. I mean, she sat at his feet. She's listened to him teach. But these guys have just gone with him everywhere. And they're looking at it saying, stop, 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 stop. It's like 28 grand right there. It's a year's wages. Why are you putting that on his head? We could sell that. You know how much we could get for that? And Jesus is saying, leave her alone. You don't get it. You're always going to have the poor with you, but not me. And you know that Christ has a heart to minister to the poor, for sure. But worship is something that is far more precious than anything. For us to take our lives and say, God, you have everything. I mean, I, I look at some of the different organizations that go overseas to do work and they, they do humanitarian work, but they're not allowed by United Nations or by whatever grants that have been given to preach the gospel. I, I, for me, I don't want anything to do with it. If I'm going to risk my life, it's for the gospel. I'll bring food. We'll bring in docs. We'll do medical work. We'll do whatever it takes. But if I can't bring the gospel, it, it profits them nothing. I want to bring the gospel. And so I look, and you see here where Jesus and you, the poor you have with you always, but not me. Pray that, that, that if, if this is us and we're around that table and we who had been dead had been made alive. I mean, you, you look at what took place with Lazarus being dead four days, stinking. Some of you were dead in your sins and trespasses for decades and decades and decades. And what did God do? He saved you and he made you alive in Christ. Gave you a new heart. You had a heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. He took your sins away. He hurled them into the depths of the sea. They're gone from you. He's replaced it with his righteousness. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's made it so that you are sealed for the day of redemption. You will always be with him. Lazarus is there going, I was dead four days. Here I am. You look at what he's done for us. It's forever. He's given you eternal life. Gave Lazarus eternal life as well. But at the time, we're talking about four days. You look at the sisters that are there, and there's the love in him. He brought my brother back. Some of you have been prayed for, praying for kids, or praying for parents, or praying for siblings, or praying for other loved ones, praying for friends that they would come to salvation. And what did God do? God saved them. He saved them. People that were like the least likely that you ever would have thought would have got saved, and they got saved, and they're here with you today. Or they're walking with Christ and they're at another church this morning. What, what God did with Lazarus is incredible. But nothing compared to God bringing someone to salvation for all eternity and washing them from their sins. And so you look at you think, how much more reason for us? The leper who's there, Simon the leper, had been cleansed from his leprosy. And that idea of leprosy just being sin that covered that man. Unclean, unclean. And you look at us as 
We were lepers. We were covered in sin. And what did God do? He removed it from us. So they're all sitting around the table. And I'm picturing us sitting around the table. And I pray to God that we would have eyes like Mary that would bring us to a point of, you, you give my all. You get my best. I don't care what other people think about it. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my God. You made me alive. You brought other people to salvation. You took away my sin. You've given me an inheritance that's such that it's, it's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it won't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for me. And I get to go and to be with you and I'm just a pilgrim right now and you've saved me. You made me have eyes open to see you as my savior, to treasure you above everything else. And so I'll give you my oil. I'll give you my everything. I'll take my life and I'll lay it down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you because that's my reasonable service. The most logical thing for me to do based on what you have done for me is to sit around that table with you and just say, you got everything. You get everything. You just get everything. I hate sin. I hate the world. I hate the stuff that you hate, God. I love you. I treasure you. I want to please you. I want to have this this. This everything upon my hair and walking around so that when I am in that house, it's filled with the fragrance of my worship towards you. And when I walk out of this house and I go about my week, I want it to just be overflowing from me. As This is a person who treasures Christ above everything else in the world and he's given them everything. She's given the Lord everything. And there's joy that's in her heart even when there's things in the world creep in and when things shouldn't be great, you have satisfaction and joy and peace and completeness that the world doesn't even know of because you love Christ. Because you're his everything. He's your everything. Been made alive. Verse 9 says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They came not only to see Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead? That guy died. We went to his funeral. He's there? So there's this great multitude of people who are coming. At the end of the last chapter, we saw that that many believe, it tells us again here, we look at, at it where Lazarus is there, and as Lazarus is there, the chief priests are plotting to put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Let's put him to death as well. Let's put him to death. They're believing in Jesus on account of Lazarus and his testimony. It's, it seems so absurd to us, doesn't it? Where you look, you think, this guy was raised from the dead. And all that you think is, let's kill him. How many more people are going to follow Christ if they see that he raised this guy from the dead after four days? Let's put him to death. Just incredible wickedness in the heart. You have times in history where there's been movements that have said, man is basically good. It's their environment that causes the problem. Man's basically good. And then World War II comes and the Holocaust and 
they don't think that way that much for the years following that. You go to someplace like, like Dachau there outside of Munich and see the camps that are there. And you, you don't leave a place like that thinking, man, this is basically good. You look at the place like that and just think, oh, the wickedness of man. Well, you, you who think man is basically good, look at these guys saw everything. They see Lazarus who's been raised from the dead and all they could think is kill him, kill that guy. They're going to follow Jesus because they see him. Many are believing. Our faith is such that it's a faith that makes sense. And we see what God's done and it's, it's believable. Many are believing. He raised a man from the dead. He worked like nobody else had ever worked. He spoke of, I am the resurrection and the life. You look and you see that just about a week later, what's going to happen? He's going to rise again from the dead, just like he said. And many more are going to believe in him. 500 people are going to see him at one time. The disciples are going to believe in him and go all over the entire world to proclaim the gospel because they saw that he had risen from the dead, just like he said. And so there's Mary. And she's given him everything. Evaluate your life this morning. Where do you fit in at that table? Are you like the chief priests that are saying, I want nothing to do with this? Are you like the disciples? You got a lot of information. You know God's word. You've been a Christian for a long time. But your idea of worship is radically different than Mary. Do you have your priorities in a wrong place? Are you like Martha who maybe you don't have a year's worth of, of fragrant oil to pour upon Jesus, but what do you have? You serve. You serve. You, you, you take your life and say, I'll just serve him. I'll serve him. I don't have a lot, but I'll serve him. What are the things that your life shows as far as what it is that you treasure? One of the people that has had a great impact on me is, is Jonathan Edwards. And one of the things I love to read from him on a regular basis are his resolutions, his 70 resolutions that he wrote from age 19 to 21, somewhere around there. But... He writes these resolutions and says, I'm going to read these once a week and does 70 of them. But the way that he thinks reminds me of Mary. The way he thinks is just like, I need to think this way. First one, resolved that I'll do what, whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory. So in my life, I want to do what's most to God's glory. What's a thing in my life that would be most to God's glory? That's what I want to do. And for my own good, my own profit, my own pleasure. In the whole of my duration, for, for my whole life, I want to do that. 
without any consideration of the time. So he just he gets in detail here, doesn't he? I want to do what's most for the glory of God, and I don't want to be at a place of like, well, I don't really got time for this. I want to do what's most for God's glory without thinking about my time. Whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatsoever I think to be, mo- to, to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with and however many and however great soever. I, how, no matter what comes at my way, I just, I want to glorify him with everything that I got. Then his second one goes right with the first one, resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned thing. So now I want to invent things that make it so I glorify God with all of my being, regardless of time. I just want to invent things to do, number one. So how can I take my life and just say, like, what, what, what spikenard do I have? What fragrance do I have? What do I have that I could just pour upon Christ and have it be worship unto him to give him my all, my everything. I want to just invent things towards that. Number three, resolved, if ever I shall fall, shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions to repent of all that I can remember when I come to myself again. So that's his third one. So he's just saying, okay, number three, I am, I am, an idiot. I'll forget to do it. I know me. I'll grow dull in it. I'm the kind of guy that's going to, you, you, you preach a sermon. I go on a retreat. I, I, I have this experience and all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. And I know I'm going to grow dull. I know I'm going to get to a place of like, uh, I'm just back to my own rut again. And so he's saying, I'm resolved that when If ever I shall fall into sin, if ever I grow dull, if if ever I neglect any of these things, I want to repent of everything I can remember. When I come to myself again, to get that, like when I'm thinking clearly again, when I'm in a place where, where I'm not having my vision obstructed by the junk of the world, when I see Christ and when I see his worth and when I behold him in his glory and when I have things in perspective at that point I want to repent of what I've been doing and I want to do what's right again and you may be in that condition this morning I've had all of this stuff in front of my face that I haven't seen Christ and seen him worth enough to pour fragrant oil upon him and so I need to repent of that and go back to you get everything Christ I treasure you above everything when I sing songs like we sung this morning I'm going to mean it from my heart because it's Everything. When I look at my priorities and when I look at how I spend my funds and I spend my time and what comes out of my mouth and what I'm doing with my work and at t- just with everything in me, with my marriage, with my family, in dating or in my singleness or whatever it is, I, I want to give you everything. Number four, resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. And then he goes to, I want to go to number 23, because we're not going to go through all 70 this morning, by God's grace, in case you were worried, in case you were worried. 
Number 23 says this, resolve frequently to take some deliberate action, which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God. And trace it back to, its, to the original intention, designs, and ends of it. And if I find it not to be for God's glory, to repute it as a breach of the fourth resolution. So this guy's like, he's like, he's got a system. Okay, so I want to take a deliberate action, which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God. When I read that, when I read the story in preparing for the sermon this week of what Mary did with the cost of oil, I thought of this resolution. Who does that? Who takes 28 grand of oil and pours it upon somebody? Someone who knows Christ. Someone that knows his worth. Someone who knows who she was or who he is and says, God, save me from that. And he is to be treasured above all things. And this is the most unlikely thing to be done for God's glory. It's the most unlikely thing to be done. Me changing in this relationship or me changing in where I go on vacation or me changing where I give this year or me changing the way that I give, me changing whether I'm going to do a mission trip, me changing the whether I would support a missionary, me changing the way that I pray, me changing the way that I sing, me changing the way that I read God's word, me changing the way that I live in every part of my life. May I do something that is a deliberate action which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God. Mary did that. It was a deliberate action, most unlikely to be done for the glory of God because she saw him and saw his worth. Brothers and sisters, you have been washed from your sin and you have been clothed with robes of righteousness and it is not because you're great, it is because he is. It is not based upon how good you have lived. It's based on how good he lived and how perfect he lived and that he died on the cross for your sins. And he gives this to you. And it comes by faith alone, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift from God. And with that in mind, to think of one of the other resolutions, sorry. Resolve, he says, to think as much as possible of the anguish of hell in the glories that follow me in heaven. Thinking that way. Well, what would hell have been like for me? What do I get? When you start thinking that way, oil, it doesn't matter at all to you. You just want, you want to show that you treasure him above everything in your life. Put it in perspective. Your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Take your life and be a Mary and do something that is a deliberate action which seems most unlikely to be done for the glory of God. And do it. And pour yourself into doing it. And do it with a smile and with worship and with joy unto him. Don't try to be appropriate in the ways that people think. Be a Mary. May we, may we be like those that if there was a table that we sat around May we be those like Mary that just say, I give him everything. He gets everything. And the most precious things to me, it's his. I value him above everything this world could ever offer. And I pray that would be us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for 
the incredible picture of Mary. You tell us, Lord, in the other Gospels that what she did will be remembered forever. And it is. What she did is what the disciples remembered and they wrote about it. They didn't write about what else took place around that table. They wrote about they wrote about her and the way that she worshiped. They wrote about the radical contrast of Judas who would sell Jesus a few days later for 30 pieces of silver for $1,000 when Mary gave 28 and just said it's all of yours Lord the great contrast of one who worships Christ and the one who just loves money God may we be a church filled with those that just treasure you we treasure you we, we pour the oil upon you we worship you we do those things which are most unlikely to be done because we see in a way that nobody else sees we see your worth we see your value that makes us just adore you may that be your people here at reverence bible church And may we go out of this place and may that fragrance just follow us everywhere to where people see Christ in us. Be exalted now, Lord, through the praises of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.